0: Underlying motivations by region were so distinct, but how it manifested was was all similar. Everyone wanted transparency, simplicity, fairness. They wanted um, I, we can go into more on that, and then they wanted to generosity to not be nickel and dime. So that was the, the conclusion. Okay, no no surprises, but how they got there was so different, so distinct. Welcome to the Proven Principles Podcast, the show that deconstructs the inner workings of the hospitality industry breaking down the tools, tips, and tricks that the world's best-run hotels use every day. Here's your host, Adam Knight.
1: My guest today is Christy Goel. She's the vice president and head of product at Global Hotel Alliance, the world's largest alliance of independent luxury hotel brands. If you've ever wondered what goes on behind the scenes to develop a hotel loyalty program, then this episode is for you. Global Hotel Alliance recently went through a rebranding and repositioning to change their program and meet customers where they're at today in terms of their expectations of a loyalty program. What they found is that even though some may like and appreciate the lofty rewards, redemption on some of their most exclusive experiences wasn't what they had hoped. So making the program more simple and attainable has driven higher usage and better satisfaction from guests in hotels. Whether you're a GHA hotel, part of one of the big loyalty programs, or have none at all, This conversation is a masterclass on talking to your customers to find out what they want and figuring out how to deliver on those expectations. And that can help in all sorts of situations. So let's get to it. This is episode 89 of the Proven Principles podcast, Christy Goal on transforming hotel loyalty. Enjoy. Hi, Christy, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for being here.
0: Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure.
1: You bet. Why don't you give everyone a, a kind of a, a run through of your background and, and what's going on at Global Hotel Alliance?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I'll start off with them. Um, so I've been with Global Hotel Alliance um, 12 years now, and uh, my current role is called head of product. I'm responsible for value proposition of the program, making sure that um, our loyalty program, which is our core product, um, it's meeting the needs of our business and of our shareholders and stakeholders, our brands, and um, of our end customers who are in the loyalty program. So um, I started off, you know, joined the program um, when it was a startup. Essentially, we were a startup. The company was founded in 2004, and I came in in 2009 when we decided there was a B2C proposition there to connect all these hotel brands. Mm. Um, I had a background prior to that doing marketing and um, and a little bit of loyalty at Neva Marcus and retail. And um Came in and helped a very small team launch this program. Um, that's a loyalty program that connects all these hotels globally, and um, and it's it's grown quite a bit. So I've been able to kind of um, be a part of that in different iterations over the last decade. And um, most recently, we did a transformation. We changed everything up, made it a lot more uh, generous program, a lot more current, and meeting the needs of different uh, customer expectations and um, uh, the different needs of our brands as well. All during a pandemic, so it happened. We're very happy that it went live finally, and um, really excited to be a part of that. Um Global Hotel Alliance is based in Dubai. I'm here in Dallas. Um we used to have a, a lot more presence here in Dallas as well, but little by little we've shipped them all off to Dubai or they moved on their own. And so um I want the last man standing in this location. Uh-huh. But um but yeah we have I mean our program has grown to we're now at soon to be come June when um, NH Hotels is joining us. We'll have 20 million members. We'll have 800 hotels and 100 countries and uh, 40 wow. brands. Um, and we have a, a small, lean, nimble team over in Dubai trying to meet the needs of all of our our many demanding um, shareholders.
1: Yeah, I'll bet. And uh, not to just dive like headfirst into the show uh, without leading into anything, but can you talk a little bit about the refresh? The the not a rebrand. Well, did you say a rebrand? More of a refresh and sort Everything. of repackaging. <laughs> (laughs) of the program. Um, and like, what was the impetus for that? And what are the core changes to the program? If you can talk about it.
0: Yeah. So again, it's a loyalty program that connects our hotel brands. We have hotel brands as opposed to independent hotels. Um, but we previously had really based, um, all of our efforts on an experiential program. So back in the day, we had really seen that our opportunity in the market was to compete in a way that stood out because the big guys, the other programs out there, obviously know how to do points. They have these big, complex programs that, that met the needs of certain, of, of, of certain things. Um, but that said, we couldn't compete like for like. We had no budget, we had no distribution, we had we were starting from scratch. So we had to be very innovative and creative with what we offered and how we approached it. And our hotel products were already distinct enough, they were individual enough. So they were fully on board with not having a, a, a typical points program. They didn't want that. Um, GHA Global Tail um, brought them together because we celebrated their hotels and we celebrated people traveling differently with us. So that was where we had um, what we called local experiences as our award. So if you're an elite member of our program, you received a local experience award to um, be more immersed in your destination and experience it more fully. So we had that for a decade and it won um, numerous awards in the industry. It was seen as innovative. It checked a lot of boxes. If customers got into it, they were really excited about it. Some of our members were really um, you know, strong believers in it and took, partook in it. Um, so by many measures, the program was successful. It grew all that we were just seeing though, there was a kind of a, a compilation of factors happening. And it was in 2019, the beginning of 2019 that we saw um you know, there was three different things I would say, like the the metrics were, were starting, the growth was plateauing. The numbers mm-hmm. were looking great, but year over year growth was plateauing. So we could see we were maturing finally. We had been going, you know, 20, 50% year over year growth and, and all different factors. Um, but it was plateauing. So we were like, okay, well, we got to start changing it up in a more, um, instead of, you know, It had to be revolutionary changes. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is, you know, um, in the industry, that was when all the consolidation was becoming a lot more at the forefront where Marriott was taking over. They had SPG and core was becoming huge. And little by little, um, there was all of this consolidation. So the big guys were getting bigger. And then you have experiences became the norms, the experiential economy, all the big guys were doing experiences all of a sudden, we were doing it better, but (laughs) they were doing it and they were getting more credit and they had more advertising dollars to talk about that. And so our point of differentiation was no longer there. So all of that was happening and we were noticing that. And, um, at the same time on our side was we had new shareholders coming in and really believing in what we were doing and they were willing to invest in us. And they said, you know what, we're going to give you some money finally to, um, to, to do something big. And so we, um, got approval from them. They've been always very supportive. And now we had a larger group of, of a supporting shareholder network there, um, to do an exploratory project where we said, let's talk to the customers. We did ex- external scanning. And of course, um, expert interviews and competitive research, but we really got an opportunity to do customer research and dig into, you know, at that point, what do customers want? What do they need? And trying to understand the underlying themes that we could really leverage to find our new innovation. Because again, we weren't trying to duplicate what the other programs had. They already did that. They were doing it more and more and bigger and bigger. We were saying, what can we do different that is this current, what people need now? And we wanted it to be ideally relevant for 2025. We had no idea a pandemic would happen. We had no idea anything that's going on today would be happening. So, um, that said, we just wanted to understand how could we evolve while maintaining the integrity of our brands and our, our our program that's supposed to be unique. Um, and so, yeah, we did focus groups. We did a a quant validation of all those findings and and we can dig in more into all that, but we, we did some research to have people tell us what they needed in a very indirect way, but we were trying to scrape through what, what is behind all of it. And, And we got some great conclusions and we were able to, um, Design a concept that was um uh, that made sense, package it all up. It's at our roadshow, we call it to all of our shareholder groups. We have as I said, soon to be forty brands. Well, guess mm-hmm. what? They all have CEO, CMO, COO, oh, yeah. whatever O's. Everyone um, has a vested interest for their own programs because we um, offer a program that's shared by all these brands, but they are the ones really running it at hotel level and at brand level, and then we we supplement it through our central level. So um, we needed everyone to be on board with it to provide their input, their expertise, and then to help vet it and then shape it into something that could be commercially viable um, operationally possible. And um, and then we had to have everyone sign on new contracts to, to fund all of this because we have a much more generous program. And so everyone had to agree to pay for that because right. we know the return is coming um, with the results of it. So it all happened. Very long story short, that was a lot of headaches and very long hours for <laughs> tens of thousands of people. And we did it. And I'm so happy to look back and say that was done. And um, one check mark, but there's a whole roadmap ahead of all the other big milestones that we have yet to achieve. I can
1: only imagine. And I mean, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but i I would think that between the customer interviews and uh you know packaging up this new program, one of the hardest parts would have been getting all the hotels to buy into it, getting the contract signed,
0: yeah, you know it was it wasn't it wasn't i I will say we were we were definitely um hesitant for the reaction, but it was kind of a, a relief to hear that so many of our hotels and and some of the brands um that they are in, had been fighting for so long not having a points program or a currency program. So I told you we had experiences. Well, in our new right. program, we created a rewards currency. So um, on the back end, like the mechanics are like points. But it's, it's so much simpler and it's so much better, of course, because it's more like cash and cash is so much easier. It's straightforward. Here it is. One for one. One discovery dollar is one U.S. dollar. And guess what? You put it toward your bill like cash when you pay. Like it's no no matrix. There's no, um, you know, blackout. It's it's more like cash. So we created a currency that it acts like a point. Program and a lot of our hotel owners and a lot of our general managers and people who had experience with other programs were so used to points programs and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of advantages to them and, and now we are seeing that as well by not having one for so long it did inhibit some of our growth in that we couldn't do um, points exchange with partners we couldn't do you know an expansion of how you spend your rewards because there was only one way to do it was local experiences well if you didn't right. want a local experience that's all we got so now we have a lot more room to do it. But again, we're trying to not replicate a points program. We don't want the complexity of it. We don't want, again, if you want points, there's other programs that offer that. So we still yeah. have to make sure that we we maintain how ours is better and different.
1: Yeah, I you know, that's a really good perspective too because, I, you know, the, the impetus I think for a lot of businesses and not just around loyalty, but just about anything is like, well, the other guy's doing it and they seem to be having success. So we need to try and emulate what it is that they're doing. And you guys kind of went, in a different direction for the second time, right? You, your inception was yeah, trying to do something different. Yeah, we're
0: challenger brand. We like that. We're proud yeah. of her. We're a challenger mentality. Yeah.
1: So I, what I find interesting is the piece about experiences here, if we can dive into this just for a second. So, you know, everybody for a long time has talked about, or guests at hotels have talked about wanting experiences. The challenge has always been what sort of experience do you build for the guest when they're staying at your property? And a lot of the times you're doing it in the dark, you just, you're sort of throwing stuff against the wall and you're seeing what sticks and hopefully operationally things go well, but there's always been a little bit of a gray area here. And you guys go out and you, you do focus groups, you talk to customers, you try to figure out what it is that they value when they're staying at these properties. What was that? Did you learn anything through those conversations where Maybe you had assumed something in the previous program that you're like, whoa, we we thought this was the case, but we were way off. And so this is how we're going to change the program going forward. Or were you more validated in how the program had been put together previously? And then those validations then carried through into the new program. I guess it's sort of like a, like a A or B here. Like w- where did things shake out? Mm-hmm.
0: All right. So yeah, both. Um, okay. So I will say by region, I'm going through the focus groups because so it was They were so unique, as you'd imagine. We did focus groups in London, then Shanghai, no, London, New York, then Shanghai, then Madrid. So, of course, Shanghai was the most distinct in terms of um, uh, the main thing across all of them, though, is the underlying motivations by region were so distinct. But how it manifested was was all similar. Everyone wanted transparency simplicity um fairness they wanted um we can go into more on that um and then they wanted to generosity to not be nickel and dime. so that was the, the conclusion okay no no surprises but how they got there was so different so distinct so when you when you focus in on experiences alone you know, there are certain regions, especially Shanghai, they loved experiences. They wanted to role play. They wanted all this stuff. They wanted this whole um, immersive, different reality. And they loved how an experience helped you get there. Whereas in the U S and New York, we're straightforward, you know, give me cash, give me cash back. Um, don't make it hard experience. No, let me choose my own experience. So it was a very different, um, appreciation and, um, and way you could apply experiences. So if, if I step back to when we created experiences 10 years or 12 years ago in the program, we had over 2,500 available where you could just go pick from a catalog of it. But with, within your hotel, you're going to stay somewhere. The experience is probably not why you got there, but it's you're going to be staying at this hotel, let's say in Berlin, and here are the experiences that that hotel is curated for. We have five-star hotels. They have a wonderful respect and, and presence in their locale, and and they help arrange these and, and curate these experiences, activities. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, originally we thought, and people had told us anecdotally, the customer research we did back then, um, that they wanted these really wild, you know, full day excursions, take me to do something really unique, da, da, da. And the reality played out that their itineraries never accommodated for that. And they never had the time or the energy, or maybe it was intimidating, or you had to do it three weeks in advance notice booking because of, of all the orchestration of it. The reality is they just wanted a, a nice dinner <laughs> at the hotel. Something okay. as simple as that was the experience that our members truly wanted in reality in their heads and in their, in their words, they wanted something a lot more immersive, you know, behind the scenes, early access to a Broadway show. Da, da, da. They never partook in it. That was one of our least redeemed categories was adventure or, you know, exclusive access to all this. What they really wanted was a nice dinner in the hotel or a nice bottle of wine to accompany the dinner they were going to do anyway, or they wanted kind of just um, experiential aspects within our hotel properties, mm. which was great for us, a great win for us. It was bad from the whole being unique piece, but it was really great from our hotels have all these, you know, Michelin star restaurants, all these outlets. We have, we have the restaurants, we have spa, we have golf, we have all kinds of beach clubs. We have all kinds of ancillary, uh, outlets and businesses at our hotels. So if our hotels want, or if our customers want that, great. How do we make that part of the program? Mm-hmm. So what we did with this reward currency is we still didn't want to lose who who we care about, who we are, the experiential aspect because so Our brands and hotels still love that. Just our customers didn't love it enough. And it was limited because it was so special. It was limited to our elite members. Only the top 4% of stayers were eligible for this anyway. Mm-hmm. So 96% of people didn't have this ability to touch an experience or to experience it. Um, and we couldn't afford to give it to everyone because they're $300 a pop or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. So That said, when we created this reward currency, we said, you know what, because we want something simple and we want something fair given to everyone um, the inclusivity of it, we'll develop a currency where as you stay, you're earning money back, and then you can use this toward all of this hotel stuff, you're toward the entire stay by itself. Yeah. You can just do it as a as a points thing toward your stay, toward like as a, a rebate. It's first off, it is a rebate. Think of it that way, but you can use it toward your room, toward an upgrade. You can use it toward spa, toward dining, toward any of that stuff. You can treat your own experience in hotel or. You can use that to pay for these curated experiences they've designed. Mm -hmm. And then everyone's eligible to do that. So you can just buy as a member. You can buy an experience regardless if you're an elite tier or not. Here's how much it's priced at. We made it kind of their own products now. So we're selling experiences in that way. It's limited to members. But you can use your rewards dollars toward that. So now we've opened up experiences to everyone. And we're letting our members choose what experience they want. If you want something adventurous, cool, we've got that. If you want a nice bottle of wine at your business dinner, it's not going to be paid in your per diem cool. Well, we'll take care of that. So we kind of made it to where it's more personal and they choose their own experience. And then in our marketing is where we're trying to say, it's not really supposed to be used toward your room. You can hundred percent put it toward your bill, but make sure you indulged on that stay, you know, and then tying it to the whole pandemic of people wanting to relish the moment and indulge. We want them to, and we want to know that they're going to get more money back for it. Mm -hmm. And then they can use this toward those indulgences. And we're trying to, in their marketing package, it a little bit more
1: experiential. I think that's interesting. So you, you almost got rid of the gatekeepers as it were right. Opened it up to everybody else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, you know, we talk about in, especially in the luxury hotel segment where, you know, there's, there's a propensity and, and kind of a need, I suppose, in a certain way to make your property, um, to have as much going on as possible. Like the experimental element, like you're talking about right now, just, just the general programming at a property. I think about like when I was at the St. Regis in Orange County, California, like that was like, there was a lot going on at that property. Um, and we always approached it, anything new that we would put out or any sort of the internal messaging around like why something may not be getting any traction, a new, a new, um, program or a new thing that we were putting in place. And it, and the lens that we looked at a lot of this stuff through was for people to have giving people the opportunity to do something you have, like you could build out this really great fitness room and great fitness program. You were giving people within the property, the opportunity to be healthy while they were there, Mm. but they didn't have to be healthy while they were there. But if they (laughs) wanted to be, they could go do those things. And and I, I I like the way that you're kind of explaining this here something, it sounds similar to me where you're opening up the, you you almost provide more options for people.
0: I was just thinking it's options, right? You're letting them pick. You're not forcing, we forced experiences uh, experiences as is, is the option for them before. And now we're saying it, you're, it's not forced on you if yeah. you, if you want it, by the way, and we still have some very, um, there are some customers who seemed really upset that we changed. We didn't change. It's still there. You hundred percent can do this. And it's, if anything, we've made it easier and we've expanded, it doesn't have to just be that you can also just do all these other things. So we're trying to just make sure they understand that. And that's a, an education piece for us, but it's also saying for the other 96% of our stayers, Hey, we have something for you now. Isn't this cool? Yeah. And by the way, you don't have to wait. you know, stay 30 nights to have eligibility for this. And now you can just spend it or you don't have to, you can spend $10 here and there.
1: Did you, did you, do you still have tiers in the program? We we do. Okay. So you can still sort of earn more, right. As you, as you go up.
0: Absolutely. So there was, you know, the, the typical aspects of loyalty where um, you're recognizing the whole idea is there's recognition and there's rewards. We still need both. And in our customer research, they expect both. They want hotel benefits and you can only give extra benefits to people who've earned it because just the sheer exclusivity that's inherent in that. So we needed tiers, but we did see the opportunity to have warrantiers. And it's not, again, if you say more, I, I, we tried to minimize how complex it was. We wanted it simple and straightforward, but essentially we saw there was a gap. Most of our people weren't, most of our members weren't staying 10 nights. Okay. And for, if you're a business traveler, 10 nights is not hard to achieve, but loyalty has historically always been about the business traveler. And more and more, we have leisure travelers and we didn't even know that the pandemic would hit and everyone's a leisure traveler now. <laughs> um, hopefully not for too long, but, yeah. um, but that said, leisure, it's hard to hit 10 nights. So the idea is if someone is spending a lot of money, in Maldives, they're spending 10,000 a night and we weren't giving them to the next tier. So the next time they stay with us, they were treated like everyone else who hasn't spent 10,000 a night. Um, and so there was different elements of making sure that we were recognizing other measures. We used to just be based on nights, which was simple, but it wasn't equitable. And people said they wanted fairness. It was if I spend a lot of money with you, recognize that. Mm-hmm. Cool. Now we have spend across our hotel not just um based on your room rate but also if you spend a thousand dollars in the restaurant cool that's part of this mm-hmm. we're recognizing you spent with us in our in our family and um, and you're going to be getting tier qualification on that and the other thing is we thought there was too big of a gap between the first and the, the the second tier back then so we added one in between because that was just most of our members were lying there and we wanted something for them to hit that was a little closer so we have a second tier there we also made sure that our tier names didn't change too much so that from a you know we had already at that point,
1: you know, over 11
0: million members who had something, maybe they knew our two names, maybe not our hotels. We had tens of thousands of of staff that already was trained one way. We didn't want to change it for the sake of it, but we also were noticing that the other big guy programs had a very similar tier structure. So we wanted to make sure customers who are trained out there as well, that all of them had this tier structure in mind. So they don't have to know that ours go, you know, silver, gold, platinum, titanium. They don't have to to really know that we have that as long as they know Marriott's is very similar. Mm-hmm. Cool. So if I'm titanium, this is where I am, or if this is where platinum, yeah. this is where I am. Um, so we liked that so that we, we were trying to minimize the amount of education to our own staff, but also to customers, because they're not paying attention. We're just another loyalty program potentially. So we want them to pay attention to what's important to us, which is that discovery dollar reward component. Cause that has the most potential. That's the most interesting probably to them. Um, and then for those of them that are staying enough to hit another tier, and we're at their marketing and make sure they know that and know what's why they would want to be at those tiers. There are increased benefits, and our hotels know that, um, that they're meant to deliver on those, and those are valued a lot, especially room upgrade. That's one of the, that was the number one thing that our customers wanted, more than a cashback or points or anything. They wanted a room upgrade, especially at our hotels, really nice um, rooms. So to get an upgrade is a very high value. And so we were trying to figure out okay, how do we make sure that our hotels can deliver upon that because that's such an expectation. And then that's based on your tiers of how you get there.
1: Yeah. Um, I am curious to get your thoughts on the, um, the choice out there for loyalty from, from a hotel, uh, management company or an owner's perspective right now. I mean, they've got, if you're building a new hotel, uh, you've got a few options, right? You could build your own brand. You could, you could franchise with, you know, uh, one of the big guys. You could go with a, a more independent brand. And there's going to be a lot of reasons why somebody makes the decision that they do. Does the, anecdotally speaking and from my own experience, you know, I, I know that at the time that Starwood SPG program was a really big driver for. Uh, not just getting new hotels signed up, but for the hotels to win a lot of business too. So if you kind of think like down the chain, once the, yeah, distribution, once the hotels open, uh, winning group contracts and, and catering contracts and some of these larger business travel contracts, a lot of it was predicated on the, uh, the points that you may be able to get awarded uh as a meeting planner or somebody who's booking business travel. So that would be part of the thought process as you're thinking down the chain what am i going to do with this new hotel. As you've sort of come through this new evolution with with GHA do you guys have any any stats or thinking on how you would present the value of GHA to somebody who's trying to make a decision on what am i going to do with this new building? and maybe help make the decision to not go with one of the bigger guys, but to kind of get looped in with with your program and then maybe see the benefits that they would think that they would get from the bigger program. It's a very convoluted question. I hope hope it makes sense. You're saying like,
0: what would we say to an asset manager or a read owner? Um, So, all right, so I would say in summary, first off, GHA offers more than anything um, for our brands and hotels to maintain their individuality but have a global loyalty program at a very low cost. So that's our, our offering. Now the big guys, I, I can fucking have the big guys. They have a, a much. They're huge, and they have the distribution. Yeah, they also have very high fees. So you pay for that distribution. You pay for additional marketing fees. You pay on total revenue too, not just loyalty revenue. And um, and you're paying a lot. And then depending on it, it absolutely depends on your hotel and your business and and where you are, your location and what type of what your business mix is. So if you want these large groups and they are attracted to an SPG, all right, well, not anymore, but Bonvoy. okay, that again, we're not we're not able to to compete like for like in that way. But for for obviously for our soon to be 800 hotels, we have a proposition where we're a very low cost provider and we give them the global reach, the global um, we have the loyalty platform management and all of the stuff that comes with that that are um, most of our brands which are all privately owned almost all of them um, it's very expensive to run your own loyalty program so a lot of them were competing with them having their own loyalty program yeah as opposed to the big guys now if you're saying do you want to be um joining any of the larger programs then it becomes a valuation of okay the cost versus what do i project of increased occupancy what is the um you know the cross brand we call it cross brand potential if we have customers in certain markets that are especially in the US we have millions of customers sitting in the U S and we don't have enough hotels to accommodate them. So any U S player who comes in, we have this wonderful database that we can tell them come stay at our hotels now. And that's going to be a great cross-brand potential with zero extra cost for them. Mm. And for, for other, um, locations, and especially key international hubs used to be with cities that, you know, in London and Singapore and um, Sydney, we have a lot of cross-brand potential where you have a customer database that we can easily send to their hotels. And we do. Mm. And, um, and that's at a very low cost to them. Yeah. And, and there's some other, you know, secondary or other locations that maybe we can't drive as much traffic to them, mm-hmm. but we're providing a loyalty program at a very low cost. So there's a couple different aspects to that. Um, and in terms of how would someone decide, it would be just an ROI sure. estimate calculation. Yeah. And um, now to your other point, though, of having like a B2B program in terms of rewarding you know, the meeting planners and travel agents and bookers. We right now just have a B2C program. And that's because our brands and hotels have their own separate B2B programs. And I'm I'm bucketing it in B2B. I'm putting it all together. But the idea is it's its own beast. And we have very much, it's on the roadmap. We want to offer something. Right now, um, we're leveraging our existing B2C loyalty program, GHA Discovery, to reward people. And the brands have their own ways of doing that. But it is so complex because these, they all have different systems. A lot of them are on Excel sheets. And so we're a, a technology company. We have everything. Our database is very um, sophisticated. And so to tap into that, we, we have to first understand it and then scope it out and figure out it's a whole exploratory we have to do again with a very different customer set. And then the program design and stakeholder buy in everything we just did over the last three years we have to do again probably takes less less time than that. Um, but we have to do it with a total different lens and different systems, different, um, we have to figure out what the investment is, we have to see if if everyone agrees to invest in that. And um right now it seems sufficient enough that it wasn't the priority. The priority was get the B2C program going, um, successful. We have to build it out. We have a few more phases of 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 enhancements that are in the works right now. And um Absolutely, there's that potential there. And it is a big portion of the business. It used to be for some of our brands, it was half of their business before, hmm. kind of the business travel and corporate travel, corporate leisure and all those. Um and so that is something that we're interested in. And I would say if a hotel is reliant solely on that, then we'd have to figure out are we helping with that?
1: Yeah. Is, is yeah. a smaller
0: player helping with
1: that. Yeah, there's obviously, yeah, to your point. I mean, there's a lot of layers that go into the uh, the decision. Um, uh, but it I, I do remember those conversations and having I mean, honestly, having experience with non points-based programs, points-based, uh, independent hotel programs, no program at all. Like it's, there's, yeah, I, I, I remember being at the board table in conversations about the benefits and the downfalls of all of those things. And, uh, you know, I, it's, it's just interesting to see how things have, have evolved and changed uh, over the last, uh, several years, you know, the, just, you know, I'm, yeah, go I'm ahead. curious.
0: I, I hear that. And I think about, it. so my previous life in retail, I was, um, we had a loyalty program too. And so, and then, and I was in a CPG before that, just like internships internship stuff, but like, I've always been around loyalty. And what I loved about that was it's a database, it's CRM, it, it, it connects all these things and it has all these, um, advantages. And so I'm, I am kind of just, um, intrigued by how a business can sustain itself without, not loyalty for the sake of the program, but just the, the whole um, CRM element to it and how it pulls all the data together. And there's it's rich data, it's consent-based once you initially collect it. There's so many extra ways you can market to people because the content of, oh, account related things. And, um, and I just think there you know, there's some hotel chains, you know, four seasons is a great one where they don't have loyalty, but they have a CRM. It's a, it's a fake loyalty, but it's the same idea. So I'd still call it loyalty where you still are saying, here's what we're going to do and how we're going to personalize the experience and communications. And here's how we're packaging it. They still, even though they don't call it a loyalty program, it is one. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a, it's a service-based loyalty program, but there's a lot of hotels out there that don't have any of this. Yeah. I'm like, well, you're just relying on people finding your hotel, which you're spending a lot of money for, for paid and then or OTAs. You're spending a lot. And then you you probably don't have a sufficient system to capture and then to, to qualify mm-hmm. and then to, to leverage in all these different ways. And I'm like, they're going out there blindly and and potentially that's maybe, obviously it works for some of them, but I'm always kind it, of intrigued. Yeah,
1: you are, you're leaving money on the table in a lot of cases, or you're losing the ability to really hook guests into your your hotel company, especially if you have multiple properties. Uh and maybe they're spread out in a geographic region. So every time they go to say, I don't know, Northern California and you got a group of hotels, um the 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 if it, sure I, I completely agree with you. If you don't have something other than trading on hoping that they have a really good experience when they're there, then you know, there may not be an incentive for them to stay at your property. You know, up the highway two hours next time they're they're in town, or to create maybe a road trip stay where they stay at a bunch of your hotels when they're when they're in a region for a, a long period of time. Uh, I don't necessarily know if that's changing. And actually, another this brings up another interesting point now with the change in how people are are traveling, this business and leisure blending and longer stays happening now, and working from wherever, and the rise of short term rentals in, in this industry and the share that short-term rentals are starting to take and the professionalization of the short-term rental industry, getting a lot more hotel people involved and kind of creating some hybrid brands that that's going to take share away from all hotels, regardless of whether they have a loyalty program. But I wonder if, and maybe you can speak to this, if this is something you guys have thought about, is there value in a loyalty program for a more professional short-term rental company out there? Um, maybe they'd have to meet certain criteria, the quality of, of accommodations and maybe location matters. I don't know what those things are, but this is such a growing segment. Is it something that you guys have, have thought about?
0: Yeah, no. And I love, um, yeah, I'm a VRBO girl and Airbnb. I I love that because I like to pretend I'm a local wherever I go, since I'm sitting in Dallas, I want to pretend I live in Europe most of the time. (laughs) So, um so I can appreciate that as a consumer. now from a business perspective, we did talk about this in 2019 where we're saying, okay, what should we be doing to really invest in this program and bring it forward? And, and that was on the, on the list of things that we had debated. And um, our shareholders are largely are of our brands, um, our hotel brands, and they did not think it was the right direction for us to be getting involved with that. Now, a lot of our, a lot of the big boys are, you see them, you know, home away and you yeah. see some of these are, um, are under those, those big programs. And, um, and it's, it's interesting. Um, I think the comparison though, I will just say again, from the consumer lens, when I travel, I do like, and obviously I have, you know, good stats cause I travel a lot with work. Um, I do often choose based on the product, right. And the product is I wanted to stay in a, an apartment, you know, we were in New Orleans last week and I have my kids with me and I don't want to sleep in the same room actually ones up with me, but, um, and my mom was there. And so anyway, I wanted um, a division of space and I wanted something that was in a certain location and I chose the product of an apartment and, and my loyalty program, um, you know, could, was there a product that was comparable in terms of what I was looking for of an apartment that has multiple rooms and a kitchen in a good location. And so, um, now there's another time where, so I chose that for that reason, even though I had status at a hotel, I could have stayed at a couple blocks away. Um, but it would have been a single room. They didn't have suites available that you could rent or you could uh, purchase mm-hmm. for, the, for the time. So another trip that's coming up in the future is, um, another location. It's down in Galveston, drive distance. Um, and that's one where, you know, I'm going with several people and they're choosing. And again, I would, I would want to stay in an apartment. They're choosing based on a hotel cause they have points to use that yeah. are making it a free. So they're choosing this location. And now you could say, is there, you know, um, incremental revenue for the, their, if they're using their points at this hotel on the beach, um, maybe the, you know, does the hotel want them doing that? Well, there's a lot of ancillary spend still, they're going to be going to the restaurants and the breakfast and they're going to be, you know, doing activities that might cost some money. And so they're, they're still bringing ancillary revenue, even when it's a point redemption, but their, their choice is based on loyalty program there. In that case, I don't have any status there, so I'm going to choose it again based on product. But, um, again, there's so many decision factors that go into Mm -hmm. it. And so I would still say, it's just a choice of what product do they want? Do they want a hotel? Then all of a sudden loyalty is very much a consideration. And so, um, For those programs that are incorporating both together, where you have short-term rentals and a lot of those could be potentially houses or or apartments and hotel rooms, then they do have, yeah, probably a lot of potential to to cover a larger group of people.
1: This was my episode with Christy Gold. You can learn more about Global Hotel Alliance at globalhotelalliance.com, or learn more about their loyalty program at ghadiscovery.com. If you'd like to get in touch with Christy, you can find her on LinkedIn or email her at christy.goal at gha.com. I'll link to everything in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to the show this week. If you're not a subscriber to the podcast, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For past episodes or to get in touch with us, just go to theprovenprinciplespodcast.com. And if you want to follow us on Instagram, we're at theprovenprinciplespodcast, or you can find us on LinkedIn. I'm Adam Knight, and you've been listening to the Proven Principles Podcast. Until next time.